Admiral Shaw, Dr. David Tabret. Hello. Hello, Sarah. Hello. This is good news. It means it's time for Pet Chat and people can call us, 49216216. Cheryl, I've been trying to work out the brooch and I can't do it. Oh, okay. It's, oh, I a, haven't... it's a wreath of flowers. Okay. Now, you have to guess. Today we're going to be talking about dog breeds that are cousins. That Does are that cousins. Help? Oh. Does that help with the brooch? Is uh, no. Family ties. Um, we'll find out. It's a mystery. It's it is a mystery. a mystery. Okay, well, I'll ponder that. I'm blind as a bat, mind you. When I go to pick up Max from school, I can never find him, so <laughs> I can't even really see what it is. Adrian, welcome to the show. A question about your cat for David. Yeah, g'day, mate. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Um, I've got a 13-year-old, well, 14, I think, whatever, cat. Um, she's uh, very healthy for her age and everything. Uh, got a ravenous appetite, uh, but her stool is always quite um, floppy. Put mm. sort of um, Now put her on a wormer, uh, but that thinking that might be it because I live in the country. Yep. Um, and but uh, that doesn't seem to be making any headway. Uh, I'm just wondering is because of her age, or she may have something else that uh, may be the problem. Uh, I tend to take it to the vet in the next week or so, but I just thought I'd advice anyway. Well, why not go, out, go into that uh, consult armed with a few ideas, I think, is a good idea. Um, so starting with the worming, I think that's a great idea. Certainly, as you said, being in the country, you might have uh, more parasites, and I think that's always a wise thing to do. Um, mm. Now, one little question. So do, uh, do you have other cats or just the one? Uh, there are two other cats, but they don't sort of live together or have right. much contact, but they're also on worm and tablets, yep. and, but their stool's fine. Okay, great. And um, how energetic or active is this cat of yours? Well, she's 14, so she doesn't go for a jog. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. So the... She gets around with no She gets around all right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a couple of things I'd be concerned about. Certainly any sort of gastrointestinal disease, and we do see inflammatory bowel disease in cats and that um, other gastrointestinal diseases that possibly cause chronic diarrhoea may be tumours in the oh, bowel. Okay. Um, yeah. And although usually those cats, we don't see them having a ravenous appetite. But the one that really jumps out at me is uh, the possibility of a condition called hyper thyroidism so the thyroid gland sits in the neck and it, yeah. pro it produces a, a range of hormones the most active one is called thyroxin and um or t4 and that actually kind of has an effect on the um on on the uh whole whole body everywhere it's like uh if you remember the old cars we had the carburetor pull the choke out gives the engine a bit more fuel well, that's kind of what the thyroid gland is doing, and it, it can run um, in this condition. It runs unabated, so basically they just start eating more, and oftentimes the diarrhoea is because they're eating so much that the food's just moving quickly right through yeah. the bowel, and so that's why you end up with that problem. So that would be certainly something I think your vet would want to check, and it's pretty simple to look for. We do a blood test um, yeah. that we have to send it away, and that'll give us the answer, and if that's the case then there's medication to um, treat that condition. All 
All right. The best of luck, Adrian. Dr. David Tabret is here to help you. Hello to Bev in Singleton. Now, your dog's a little bit itchy. Yes, he's a um, a three-year-old. Oh, he's almost three. Jack Russell Cross. He has it's like a um, a cradle cap on him. And I looked it up on Google. I can't even pronounce the word. It's Sabora or something like that. Uh, Seborrhea. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And all those symptoms seem to fit, Charlie. And I'm just wondering because I say there is material for it. What can I actually do? Um, so is this the, is it an area of hair loss? No, it's thinning out, thinning. but it's, it's not, he's not actually lost it. And I've only noticed, I've noticed it once before, hmm. um, but last week I took him down to my cousin, she's a groomer, and he had a bath and she dried him, but I was finishing him off. And I could see these, this flaky stuff, like dandruff type, cradle cap type, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and is it only on his head or other way? He's got it on his back in patches. Yes. Very minor patches, and he's got it on his tummy in minor patches. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so the the skin has a limited uh, way or range of methods to respond to whatever's going on, okay? So yes. when we see, when we use the term seborrhea, that's when the skin starts to get oily, um, and it, there are glands in the skin called seborrheic glands, actually, and they produce oil. Um, and so the, the, in some circumstances, the skin will react in that way, but it could also react in other ways, but it doesn't really tell us what's causing it. Okay? So it's not to say that once we see this problem or this appearance that we know exactly what's going on, and that's where we have to kind of look a bit closer diagnosing and we might need to do things like scraping the skin until we can look at the cells under a microscope um, the veterinarian might also want to do what we call a tape prep where we literally get sticky tape and put it on the skin and then we can when we pull it off it lifts um, we'll often get a bit of hair we get a bit of skin and we can look at that under the microscope as well um, and in some cases we need biopsies or allergy testing so one of the clues here is the fact that its distribution is ventral and further back on the dog. Uh, sometimes we see that further back because that's an area that the dog can easily turn around and itch at and scratch, and that's what causes you know, that area to be affected. But that doesn't mean that it's not all over, um, all over their body. So I would suggest that a visit to the vet is needed because we might find the difference between things like parasites like, for instance, sarcoptes or demodex in a younger dog, but we also need to consider fleas, we also need to consider grass allergies. And once we really get the diagnosis, then there are actually lots of different treatments. Generally, using things like aloe vera shampoo is going to help, but it's not very specific, and I, I think it's best to get that diagnosis first of all. Okay, thank you so much for the call, Bev. We're going to go to Anne now in Maitland. Anne, you've got an old blue healer around 14 years, and she or he cries before dinner. Yes, yeah, so she has her dinner at 5, and then between 5 and 7, when we cook our dinner, she just cries all the time. Oh, do you think she's still... Hungry, Anne, or does she just decide that your dinner looks a bit better than hers? Well, she's, she's visually impaired, so, so, and she's a bit old. So I just want, I've been trying treats 
So I use the vegetable water and a little peanut butter and I make frozen treats and then I put them out for her to chew on to occupy her. Yeah, yeah. But I after like a really hard treat. I don't want to give her a pizza every day or anything like that because that's no good for her tummy. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things I reckon that's probably going on is that um, dogs see, see themselves in pack situations. You're her pack. You're eating at a different time, and she just goes, well, I want to be involved, and um, that's why she's vocalising at this time. So perhaps one solution is to change her feeding time, although that means more work, uh, more work for you, and to make everything come together at the right time. Um, so the okay. other other option is what you're doing, and I think that's fine. Um, in terms of like what treats, uh, perhaps maybe a small kong filled with the the vegetable and the. No, because she can't because she can't see it. See, so she can't see I, it. Yeah. yeah, she can't see. I've tried the kong with the peanut butter, and then it rolls away. I put the kong in a bowl. Uh-huh. That doesn't work. She picks the bowl up with her teeth, and you know. She might just have to have a seat at the table. <laughs> That's here at five. She cries until when we've tried that. Uh, oh, okay. Because she's used to being fed. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. It sounds like you've tried some of the things I would have thought of um, that are most appropriate. I'd certainly like the idea that you're thinking about keeping her occupied, because certainly that that's really what she's responding to um but of her vision is creating the problem where you can't just you know throw throw a, a kong yeah. in the backyard and think because she's going to have trouble finding it um yeah. something very smelly like a lot of people use i know peanut butter is very attractive to dogs um yeah. but sometimes vegemite people find is a bit more attractive um sardines would be another thing uh yeah, well, if you put them inside the Kong and then use some Vegemite on it, I mean, it sounds awful, but I reckon no, dogs would love it. Eat, no, she'll eat anything at the moment. And then I've got a snuffle mat, so I've been putting biscuits on that to try and keep her occupied as well, but I don't want her to get fat. Well, whatever you give her, just remove that from her dinner because I don't think actually the time spent at dinner is going to change. That's you know, a good idea. So if a it's smaller one, dinner. A smaller yeah. dinner and then you're going to space it out. So that's actually the probably The frozen sardines way. is a good idea if she mm. licks them, although she might just guzzle them all in one. Yeah, but if they're inside the Kong. Yeah, she can't see the Kong, though. It rolls away. It rolls I know. away. Yeah, the mm. snuffle mat's a great idea, though, putting your food into that. All yeah. right. Well, good luck with it, Anne. Let us know how you get on. Jason in Taralba, you've got a question for Dr. David Tabret in regards to your birds. Yes, I do. Hi, Dr. David. G'day, G'day, Jason. Great. How can we help? Right, I want to worm my birds, and I read on the directions on the label, it says that pigeons have half dose. Is this correct? So is it just pigeons that you got? You're not doing other species? No, no I've got lots of species. Yeah. But it says if it's half rate for pigeons, I was wondering some of the other things like um, honey eaters, as an example, or, or um, kingfishers. Things like that are they half rate too? Being Australian natives, um, I don't think that's the issue, and it really depends on the drug as well. So some of the drugs have a lower safety profile, 
yeah. Um, yeah. So most of the like common wormers that we use, and and it also depends on what species of worm that we're trying to treat. Um, so for instance, if we're using uh, ivermectin, is one treatment. Um, I'm going back a few years here, so bear I'm with me. I'm using the farm yeah. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And there's other ones like, um, oh, I don't even know if we're still using Levamisol. And then there's also uh, some of the um, ones for, like, the Praziquantel. There's uh, the, I can't remember what the drug group is called, but there's a group related to parental, which is very similar to what we use in dogs. So um, it really depends on the species of the worm the drug and then the bird species and getting that combination uh, okay. okay so it's and if you've got multiple species in one then i think yes yes and some birds you know we this is a, another problem that happens so a lot of these wormers are delivered in water medication but some birds have for instance if you know you've got um nectar eaters and things like that if they're actually getting a lot of moisture through their food. They're not. It's not like they're just going to go over and have a drink. Whereas if you have a more of a seed-eating bird, uh, their moisture comes from the water, and so you end up with this problem where you've got some birds are going to get too much, some get too little, um, and that's why I think you really need to separate out the birds for this particular treatment because otherwise, you. You know, you put one dose in, and half your birds will be underdosed, and half will be overdosed. Okay. It is time to do our Dog of the Week. Cheryl, you've really taken to this one. Oh, she's so cute. This is Angie. Angie is a bubbly five-year-old female English staffy cross mini foxy. She is cute. She's yeah. little, she's stocky, and she's super cute, isn't she? She looks very alert. Uh, she's black and white. She's a smaller stature. She weighs about 14 kilograms. I wasn't expecting that. I thought mm. it was going to be more like, you know, six or seven. Um, so she's on the smaller side of being a medium dog. So she must be, yeah, okay, a little bit stocky. Angie is a very lively and active dog, so is best suited to a family with children over 12. She will need a family committed to her ongoing training. She has the basic commands in place, uh, but she does need a little bit of guidance with her excitability. Yeah, I can understand that, <laughs> you know, can relate. The family will be adored by Angie. She thrives on the company of people and will follow you around. Uh, she's very well toilet trained, which is wonderful. Um, she's not had any accidents inside. She enjoys, enjoys playing with her toys um, and pats. You know, if you can make them very available, she does love that. Angie would be more appropriate as an only dog. Um, although a calm male dog companion may work. All right. She clashes a little bit with female dogs. She's she's the only female dog in the village, in her mm. village. So um, she's fine outside during the day with toys or a fresh bone to keep her mind engaged. So if you're interested, you can go and have a look at Angie. That's on our uh, website, 2nurfm.com.au, and click on Pet of the Week. There you go. Well, Cheryl, we spoke about it a little bit earlier today, and then we got our calls and we haven't gone back to it. I said your brooch. Yep. That that usually indicates the topic that we're talking about. Okay, so the brooch today is a Welsh lady. So I thought I'd talk about Welsh dogs. Oh. Come to mind yet what the breed might the be? The corgis. The corgis, yes. Uh, okay, we're talking about 
Queen Elizabeth? Oh, Queen she Elizabeth. Got a, she got a new corgi. She did. You know, she's the only person I know who has two birthdays. But in June, she was given a puppy, another corgi. So um, she had just recently lost Fergus and obviously her husband. And the family thought it was time for another corgi. Oh, good So one. the corgi that the Queen has is actually the Pembroke corgi. So there's two breeds of corgis. Once they were shown together and recognised as one breed, just the corgi. Okay. And the Welsh name corgi, the cor means dwarf, and the the gi the 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 ending the of gore, the gi actually means dog. So it's the dwarf dog. Although ah. they're not really dwarf, only their legs. Because when you look at a corgi, David's nodding his mm. head here. They're a large dog. They're they are very quite big. big. Yeah. They're, they're fairly long too, aren't they, corgis? Oh, excellent. Excellent, you should say that, because they were called, the, um, in measurement, the yard-long dog. Ah, okay. Really? Yes. Oh, there you go. They are about a yard long. Yeah. Yep. So we've got the, the two um, that were shown together, and then back in the day they decided that the two should be separated because one does have a longer body than the other, and they do have different traits. So when we're talking about what we're looking at... Um, we're looking at the stop on the front of the dog, so the part above the nose between the eyes. In one, it's really pronounced, and in the other, it's quite flat. They oh. actually have different shaped feet as well. One has a very cat-like foot, and the other has a very hare or rabbit-like foot. So the shape of their feet are different as well. Are they both called corgis? What's the... Yeah, the... so we've got cardigan corgi and Pembroke corgi. I, always, the... I, I just thought oh. it was a colour difference. No, Coat no, colour. no. So, no, they... We they're... think they're different breeds now. They are. They were recognised... Um, oh. oh, gosh. They were actually... Um, the, the British um, Kennel Club defined them... Um, as two separate breeds of dogs. So they no longer could be bred together and they had to be defined separate because they were being shown and okay. often crossbred. Okay. And Cheryl they're... knows the stuff because Google oh, like just history. confirms. Yeah, the history. cardigan Welsh corgi versus the Pembroke Welsh corgi. Yeah, so they're really quite... Um, well, originally, what they were doing were used to um, as cattle dogs. So they used to to um, keep cattle in line, sheep and cows. And because they were low to the ground, they often missed getting the kick of the cow. So they were quite quick ah. and they would nip at the heels of the cows and the sheep. Mm. And that's why they were called healers because they were um, a dog that was you know at the heels of the animals all the time. But most of them haven't lost that trait of nipping. So when you get a puppy, you need to make sure that you do some really serious training because they are very nippy. They will nip you as you're walking along. So we need to make sure that really good training happens with the corgi breed. Because they are exceptionally cute when they're little. I think you might know Murphy the corgi, one of our friends on yes. Facebook. I think it's her yes. mum that has Murphy. And yeah. when they got him as a puppy, just adorable yeah. but that can be a problem when something's so cute that you forget you need to train and yeah. you know and that early discipline is really important um, the other thing is some one of them has a, a tail that's like a fox and they they do actually have a little bit of a fox-like face when yeah. you look at them they're very cute dogs but yep. um, their history is really yes they go back in time they're even in the doomsday book and back in whenever the Doomsday Book was written, 1086 or something, that that breed was, 
you know, really considered um, quite um, important in, in England. So they are good pets, tra- oh. training obviously at the start, but yeah. are they suited for families or single people? Are they good to, to walk? What, what are they? Okay, sort of- so again, this comes back to training like any dog breed. If you've got small children and they're inclined to nip, this can be a problem for the child. So, you know, good, good training is really important, but making sure that, yeah, you do make sure that that nipping is, is um, not coming forward with children. They, okay. are, they are a lovely mm. pet though. There you go. So if you're thinking of a pet, maybe a corgi might be one for you. They do get spinal problems. Yes, yes. So we we see lots of, well, when I say lots, we do see corgis that have uh, disc problems in their back. Is that because they need surgery? Quite a big body on little legs. Or? Uh, no, it's actually they're they're part of a group of dogs called chondrodystrophy, mm. which means that there's abnormalities in cartilage formation. Okay, and that predisposes them to things like spinal cord um, injury from disc okay. rupture. Yeah. All right then. Yeah. Alan in Glen Oak, you've got a question for Dr. David Taprit. Yeah. Good day. Uh, I've got a eight-month-old Labrador bitch. Yep. who's coming to the end of her first season and I'm just wondering when it's time to get her fixed. A lot, lot of controversy about this one, this question. I see so many opinions. Um, well, basically now. Right. Uh, look, maybe two weeks' time. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, so I'm, in terms of because you're already at eight months, I'll just go back a little bit. A lot of dogs are being dissexed much earlier. Right. You know, like three, four months of age. Yeah, that's, that's great. That sounds a bit too early for me, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, you'd be surprised. They actually cope quite well with surgery oh, and okay. anaesthetic. We do anaesthetics for other procedures at that age, and they do quite well. Right. Um, uh-huh. So one of the, the reasons for that is that there is a protective benefit in desexing dogs before their first cycle as far as the um, later risk of uh, metastatic um, mammary cancer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, now the risk is slightly higher now they've had if she's had a first season once you go beyond two seasons um, the problem is that actually after that like if if you wait till after two then you if you wait till after four it doesn't make a difference the risk is the same right. so what I'm saying is you want to get a desex before she has another season right so in a couple of weeks we'll I'll book her in yeah, yeah, because yeah. oftentimes, well, certainly during the time that they're on heat, there's a lot more blood flow to yeah. the organs. There's uh, increased risk of bleeding, and probably waiting two weeks or so after that um, is, uh, you know, just reduces the very small risk associated with surgery. Sure, and yeah. it also yeah. gets you inside that time frame that uh-huh. um, you know we we make sure that she's protected against mammary cancer later in life. Very good. So, okay. yep. No okay. worries. Thanks, Alan. And have we got another caller for Pet Chat? Hello, Hello. You're, you're on air. Oh, oh, I was just ringing up about the dog that you said was up for sale for this week. Angie. Oh, oh Angie. you're interested in our dog of the week. Yes, yeah. Angie. Cute, cutest looks- dog ever. She is gorgeous. She's a five-year-old female English Staffy Mini Foxy. So you're interested in the details, is that correct? Yes, please. Okay, yes. look, we will pop you on hold and I know uh, that you'll be helped out. So, yeah, oh, fingers crossed. Isn't that exciting? Oh, well, when they're cute. <laughs> it makes a difference, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> are, we gonna, are we ever going to put up a dog for 
a picture, then you go, you're going to say, Sarah, this is the ugliest dog I've ever seen. It's it's oh. almost impossible. It is impossible, isn't yeah, it? It's like babies, although I have seen the odd ugly baby or two. But you can't <laughs> wash, say that. Wash your mouth out. Well, inclu- oh. including my son, I thought he was adorable oh. until oh I look back and I think, oh, he wasn't that cute. He is now, though. I think he's adorable. Mother of the year. I know. Pet I've- chat. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how much I've copped it this week for mother of the year. Oh, I sh- look, I'd, I'd vote for you. Number, show- number two behind my wife, so... Why not? Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's tough love, isn't it, Oh, well, it, Cheryl. Cheryl. Sorry, yeah, it's a tie. On, tie. Tie for second. Is this good or bad? I showed child, my children um, footage of rotten I didn't know teeth you could. I did, oh, sorry. To, to make them brush their teeth. Did you? Have done from an early age, so they are really good at brushing their teeth. I think that's just clever. <laughs> to, what, yeah, you two look mortified. Yeah, well, you, you only get two the, sets of teeth. That theory could go a long way for a lot of different conditions. <laughs> I showed my teenage daughter a video of childbirth. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, well. That would work. When, when it's time, I probably will. Why not? Don't oh. go there, sister. Never too young. Can we, get, can we get back to talking about pets? Yeah, look, we've only got a, a minute or so left. So okay. you wanted to talk about misconceptions with cancer. Yes, yes, yes. So I was, listen- I was listening to a talk by a veterinary oncologist, cancer specialist, and talking a little bit about misconceptions. And one of the things we're seeing is that, first of all, we're getting earlier diagnosis, which means that we're treating them earlier with lower doses of various drugs, and we're getting better rates of uh, remission or survival. We don't often talk about cure, but there are certainly some diseases unless we're talking um, surgery and so on with cancer. But there are a lot of diseases that we're seeing that we can actually make a huge difference to the duration and the quality of a pet's life if we seek early diagnosis. Now, the other thing is um, everybody has this experience. We know that, you know, one in two people know someone or have had cancer themselves. And we know that the human experience is lots of side effects and so on. And so with pets, we don't put them through that because the pet doesn't know they're sick and we're not really looking to get an extra 40 to 50 years of life. Um, So what happens is that we're using drugs with slightly lower toxicities associated with the treatment and we're using much lower doses. And that actually makes, uh, you know, the pets, well, basically their experience, um, what I was hearing from the oncologist was the pets are happy to come in and have their chemotherapy usually because they get lots of pats, cuddles and treats. That's great, isn't mm. it? Isn't it? Yeah. Because you don't there's nothing often... worse than when your dog's freaking out when it knows you're going somewhere. Somewhere. And, I mean, you know, sometimes obviously it's probably going to involve a needle or something. But, gee whiz, if you're getting a Tim... Well, you wouldn't give your dog a Tim Tam. But if... <laughs> the equivalent. <laughs> I Correct. A nice dog treat. And they're happy. So why can't... We, we really want to, you know, Does have a happy pet. Chemotherapy affect... A- our dogs similar way that it does us does it make them feel unwell and no we really don't want to talk we're not going to accept that i think i think we have to say you know that we don't want the we want to make sure they eat they can move around and they're not vomiting yep so sometimes the disease does that but sometimes the treatment does that and that's that's what people's experience is yes so we don't want to do that with our pets So, as I said, we're not trying to get that 40 to 50 year or whatever it is time, you know. If we can get six months to three years, that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. In some cases, longer. Okay. Yeah. There you go. It's amazing how, you know, the medicine is changing daily. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And it's interesting that a lot of pet, uh, the cancer disease in dogs is actually a model for people disease. And so what they do is they give the treatments to the dogs first and so they get the cutting-edge treatment before people. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. I know. Look, that's it for Pet Chat. Cheryl Shaw, Dr David Tabrit, thank you both for coming in. Thank you, Wonderful as always.